Hello, and welcome to Learn to Listen. I'm your host, Mariah Parsons. On this episode of Learn to Listen, we are joined by Priscilla Wiggins. She and I talk about her journey playing soccer while simultaneously exploring the process of loss and identity after the passing of her father when she was 21. She majored in psychology at Stony Brook University and is currently earning her master's in counseling psychology at Temple University. We kick off the conversation around the transition out of sport and what we do and don't miss uh, along with those changes in our lives. Then we start talking about the relationships athletes have with their bodies and once they stop sport and I even talk about the need to reframe the way I look at working out and not basing it off of guilt or obligation, but rather working out because I want to. We relate over needing to catch ourselves when we are working out or there is something around healthy eating or active movement and when we start to get frustrated when we don't see outcomes that we want or that we expect ourselves to be able to achieve because we used to be able to do this type of work or have this lifestyle in college. Priscilla also talks about the phenomena of countertransference, which I thought was very informative, and she explains the delicate relationship between a counselor and their patient and how she tries to not only focus on struggles during therapy sessions. Priscilla also talks about the way she was aware of therapy from a young age as her family wanted to be open with each other. One thing that really hits home from this conversation for me is having to walk through validating each of our emotions and finally getting to the place where we both felt comfortable to go to therapy and both were able to start our journeys by acknowledging our emotions and being able to hold being able to hold opposing feelings at once. So today on Learn to Listen, we're joined by Priscilla. She is a wonderful person who I've come to meet through this whole process. And she wrote an amazing blog piece for us about her journey with injury and death in her family. So thank you, Priscilla, for being on today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Mm -hmm. So I thought it'd be great to, you know, first kind of like give your basic intro of you know, your history, where you're from, what sports you played, everything like that. Um, And then I thought it would be great if we could just like walk through your story and you could tell us about it. For sure. Yeah. Um, And I might leave some things out, but (laughs) of course. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, Okay. So I grew up in central New Jersey. Some people say that doesn't exist, but it does. Um, (laughs) And uh, I played sports my entire life. Um, like literally tried everything Uh, the two that stuck particularly are soccer and track Um, and so I did travel soccer like all throughout Um, and then I went to high school in Bucks County Pennsylvania did soccer and track there found a lot of success and then I ended up um, going to Stony Brook University to play soccer um, in 2012 so that was my freshman year Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up tearing my ACL my junior year there. So I ended up having a fifth year, which was actually a blessing in disguise, I like to say, because um, I was able to kind of transition into having new coaching staff during my fifth year. And we found a lot of success that year. And it was a really good experience. And my best friends to this day are from um, the class that were technically seniors my fifth year. So um, it was a really tough experience, but a lot of good takeaways from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then 
not long after tearing my ACL, um, my father passed away unexpectedly in 2015. Um, and that kind of rocked my world in a bunch of different ways. So all of that kind of encompassed my student athlete experience in college with injury and loss um, and kind of just trying to explore and find my identity through all of those things. And then all of that has continued to affect kind of how I operate today. Um, still processing a lot of loss and just identity, especially after college sports. Um, that has been something I'm really interested in, um, learning about both in others and myself. And after graduating college, I took a few years to work, make some money. Um, and so I went back to my high school in Pennsylvania. I worked there for about four years. I coached some soccer there, which was awesome. Um, and I worked in the alumni office doing some event planning and reunion planning and fun things like that. Um, and then I was like, oh, I guess I should say I majored in psychology at Stony Brook University. So um, I never really knew exactly what I wanted to do with that. Um, but I knew that I was really interested in human behavior and why we are the way we are and how we interact as human beings. So I kind of followed that route. And um, then when I was a few years ago, I was thinking about kind of the direction of my life. I was really happy to get some work experience after college. Um, but I felt like I wanted to get closer to the, my interests in psychology and human behavior and working with others and mentoring others. And so I started to look at grad programs um, and I ended up applying to a bunch all over the country, but I was really interested in Temple University's Counseling Psychology Master's Program. And so I am now in my second year of that. I'll graduate in May. Um, and then after I graduate, I'll work towards my LPC, which is uh, my license, licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. So it's been an interesting journey. I think that kind of encompasses the, the main pieces of it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I just like to do that because I think it's it's great to like set the stage of, you know, because you have had such a journey and it's awesome. Um, and I think it's very relatable myself. You know, we were speaking before of just like going out of undergrad, the transitioning out of sport into something that's been, you know, part of your life for every day for, for you. I believe it's like 15 years with soccer. Um, and for me with rowing, it was eight years, but of course sports before that. Um, and that's one thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I think that's something that more people are, you know, it's coming to light of the importance between having something that's part of your schedule for every single day for so long. And then come graduation, it just kind of goes away. And I know, you know, that, that transition just happened for me in May, um, not to add, you know, COVID on top of that, but I'm curious, you know, why do you think that there's more attention being drawn to like transitioning out of sports? Yeah. Um, I can't claim to have a really, uh, profound answer. Uh, but I do know just from my own experience, my teammates experience, uh, former teammates from when I was younger who have also graduated from different programs and different sports. It's, it's such a crazy thing, like you said, to have dedicated your life pretty much, um, of course, doing other things like school and having a social life, but to dedicate so much time and energy and then for it to just be over in the snap of a finger for many people. Some people go on to play professionally, um, but majority of people don't. And 
I think it kind of goes hand in hand with just more open conversations around mental health in general. I think like a lot more things that have kind of just been like, this is just the way it is, are coming to the surface and people are like, well, yeah, but like, it's really difficult when people go through this. So let's actually talk about it and provide resources. Um, because I think it leads to a lot of isolation. If, if you just think like, oh, this is how it is. And you're like, why do I feel so hopeless? Why do I feel so directionless? Um, so I think it's part of that bigger movement that we're seeing surrounding just mental health, athlete, mental health in general, both in competition, before competition, outside of competition, and then post-career. Yeah, I kind of think it's just fitting in nicely with that bigger picture of the student-athlete experience and how that affects athletes. I don't Mm -hmm. don't really have a great answer beyond that. I just think we're seeing a big shift, um, especially with the Olympics this summer, just around how athletes are treated and kind of seen and how they process their own experience. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a great answer. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't look for profoundness, just like insight and perspective. Um, and I think, you know, I've been wrestling with that as well, because it is an area that I'm curious to just explore in my personal and, you know, professional career, maybe um, of just why there is, you know, there's not really a ton of attention and resources for that transition. And I started seeing, uh, through Notre Dame, their athletics that they started to send resources, you know, as we were approaching graduation and, you know, kind of mentally preparing for that shift that was going to happen, which I hadn't, um, I think that was a new initiative that they started just my senior year, which kind of, when they did that, I realized, I think how difficult it was going to be to transition out. And for me specifically, um, you know, like physically, I think I was, I accomplished, you know, what I wanted to accomplish in the sport, but I knew that I would miss my teammates. So it wasn't, you know, the grueling practices, of course, that I was going to miss. I knew it was that community and that sense of community. Um, and it hit me pretty hard with graduation as well. Just like any, you know, change and this was your home for four years and, you know, everyone's moving to a different place or different stages in your life. So it just becomes harder to find that community that you've had for four years. Um, and I'm curious to, you know, your experience, because in your blog post, you had said, um, you know, you'd be, I think that what you said was you'd be lying if you like didn't miss soccer that you still wanted to play professionally, which for me, it was a little bit different. Cause I knew that I was, you know, my relationship with rowing, I was good. I did not want to continue to do that just because my body itself, I, I was, you know, tired of the exhaustion through it. So I think that's a unique relationship that you have with soccer where you still, you know, love the sport and would continue to play um, if you could choose to do so. Yeah. I mean, you bring up interesting points because I think a piece of that feeling that I have towards the sport, a big piece of that is truly about what you said of the community and just kind of what that time in my life represented. Um, Didn't come without ups and downs for sure, but yeah, just the relationships. And I know you can probably attest to this too. The relationships you form with your teammates and other athletes in college is just unlike any other setting. Um, 
And I think socially after college, that can kind of lead to feeling some gaps and holes and just like how you are as a social being, because it's not really like in your 20s and 30s where you get an opportunity to share a locker room and shower with your friends. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that just creates kind of like these unspoken bonds. You literally shed tears and blood and everything together. And then it's kind of just like, oh, like have fun in your job now and figure out how to make friends in a different way. Um, so a piece of my like sentiment of that is what it represents in the community and the relationships. Absolutely. And also just the life lessons. I feel like I learned from the sport, um, being a team player and pushing through adversity and resiliency, all that. Um, and thinking back, I, I did not want to play when I graduated either. I was, my body was done. (laughs) Um, it had been, it had been a tough five years, five seasons in college. I didn't feel like I got the right recovery a lot of the time. Um, so I was done at that time. And I honestly took about a year off from any like serious exercise. I gained a lot of weight, which I think is actually very normal. Um, I've heard from a lot of other former student athletes that their body changed immensely, um, pretty soon after graduating. But at the time I felt a lot of shame around that. Um, just because I was used to constantly being in shape. Um, but now I do play, like I just had a full 90 minute game yesterday my body hurts and feeling kind of old. <laughs> um, I like hurt my ankle and my back. I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this now, but, uh, I have since come to start playing again, both in co-ed fun leagues. Um, and actually one of my teammates or not my teammates, one of my classmates in my program at Temple, uh, we played soccer against each other in college and we've become pretty good friends and she's local to the Philly suburbs. Um, and I've actually been playing on a team with her. It's like her home club team and they have a whole women's league. And so that's been really fun to kind of get back into it and all, and like get some of that uh, camaraderie and closeness again, um, being able to kind of go to school with someone and play on a team with them. So it looks different, but I still do play and I find joy in it. Um, but I will say a lot of it, I think, is what you mentioned of kind of what that represented for me socially and interpersonally and the relationships. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about, you know, like the difference that time can make, too, because like you said, you know, a year out, I think we all feel it. we're like, oh, you know, you don't have to worry about those morning practices and all the rigor that comes with, you know, sports just in general. And so as you were saying that I kind of reflected and I was like, yeah, I I do think (laughs) maybe down the road, I wouldn't get sentimental about, you know, not having um, like regularly scheduled games or competitions, stuff like that. And start to miss, you know, as time goes on, um, start to miss that aspect. So maybe, you know, maybe the possibilities down the road. (laughs) Um, But I think that's great that you have like a women's soccer league that you can play in. And that's so funny that (laughs) someone that you played with in undergrad is now, you know, your school schoolmate and teammate. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's honestly been super nice because she, she went to the university of Hartford, which is in my conference and we were like kind of rivals and she's four years younger than me. So we only played against each other in my fifth year, but it was just so funny to realize that. And I realized it on a zoom class last fall 
Cause you know, like when you turn your camera off that some people have a photo up and it was her roster picture. And so I saw like Hartford and I was like, I messaged her. I was like, girl, <laughs> do I know you? Did I see you on yeah. the field? <laughs> and we were just like instantly friends from that. So it, it has been really nice to kind of have that type of connection again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can imagine too, you know, it's just relatable to have someone that is right there and had a similar experience in undergrad and now post-grad, you know, you're, you're kind of going through the same thing, um, but just, you know, more schooling. And then on top of that, also soccer outside. Um, and you'd said a little bit earlier about the like changes that happen with your body after athletics, which I hadn't really thought about just being a couple months out, um, which I'm curious, you know, asking my, my teammates who are older than myself, if they've found that, um, because I do think there is a very interesting relationship between just like your body image when you are an athlete versus when you're not training to that extent. Um, and kind of like the guilt that can go along with that. Cause now even I find myself, I'm like, Oh, if I'm not getting a workout in every day, I'm like not doing, you know, everything that I need to be doing. And then along with that also like gaining weight when you come out of college, cause you're just not training the same, um, or at least, you know, I'm not training the same that I did in undergrad. Maybe some people do. Um, but I'm curious, you know, have you found with yourself just like that? I, I think about it as like reframing my relationship with working out where I'm like, oh, I need to not have it be like guilt-based or something like that, where, you know, I just go in and if I don't feel great, I just stop working out, you know, but for me, I'm like, I need to like mentally in my mind, like if I'm not working out for at least an hour every day, then I'm not, you know, hitting my goals or whatever, but it's, it's a weird, like reframe that has to happen. Yeah. And that, that word that you use reframe is really important. And honestly, it's something I'm still trying to find the balance of like I graduated five years ago and I work out now for sure. And honestly, I definitely felt this way earlier, but I'm more aware of it now since when I work out, it's completely my choice. Whereas like when you're on a team, like, yes, it's my choice to pursue (laughs) um, college soccer. However, like it, the agency is kind of taken out of a lot of it. Um, um, But yeah, like I am working out now because it feels good. It helps my brain, you know, those endorphins uh, feels good. I feel proud of myself kind of sticking with something and pushing through it. Um, but it is hard. Um, I was actually talking about this with my supervisor at my internship site about how I'm very outcome oriented, I think because of my experiences as an athlete. And that kind of takes away the importance of sitting in the process of Mm -hmm. kind of everything that you're doing. Um, and I feel like that kind of applies to this situation as well of, it's not just about like working out to be in shape for soccer, you know, it's like, I, I do have to constantly reframe that for myself of like, I'm doing this because it feels good. And I like being in shape, especially since I am still playing sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge. I, I still always have to reframe that for myself. Um, because there is a lot of guilt. Um, I feel like I just got accustomed to kind of judging myself on my in shapeness. <laughs> Um, you know, like that was like, Oh, I'm in shape now I'm doing well. And I feel like I was like associating my value to that, um, as a person, which is all backwards. And I am working to not 
kind of have that association anymore. Um, but I used to take a lot of pride in being in really good shape. And so it's like, what do you do with that kind of drive, but keep it in a healthy focused way post sport? It's, it's a question I don't fully have the answer to, but I'm working through it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I very much relate to that. And when you said the part about being oriented towards outcomes, I at times can be impatient with myself where I'm like, I am doing the work, whatever, and not seeing the outcome that I want to see. And then of, of course, like we all know, like it just snowballs into more frustration. And then I have to catch myself when I am working out of not, you know, like going on a run for punishment because I, like, I didn't hit my goal or whatever. I'm not seeing the outcome that I want to see, or I'm not as fit or, you know, dedicating as much time as I used to, um, through working out. And so it is tough. Cause I, I recognize that it's, that shouldn't be what, you know, working out is for, but just coming from having that be the norm, I think for so long of yeah. like having coaches evaluate you on your progress and your fitness, it is very difficult to like unwind those very connected, you know, strings. Yeah, absolutely. And like with the outcome oriented stuff, in sport too, like you, you get automatic feedback, like that you can see and feel too. It's not even necessarily from a coach, you know, it's like, you know, if you just mess something up. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think like transitioning then to real life, you don't always have that automatic feedback. Like in your job, things can take a really long time to turn around and get back to you or me when I'm working with clients. (laughs) Um, you don't always see like progress in like a tangible way like that. And I think that that that's an interesting phenomenon as well, like post sports and it plays into like being in shape and all of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like that you brought up also like in now when you're like with, with your clients and working with them, not having those tangibles, Um, because I am interested in, you know, psychology the same way that you are studying neuroscience, um, and undergrad. And so I wanted to ask, you know, what if has, is it a different perspective, you know, when you're working with clients and you're seeing maybe some like parallels with them and, you know, yourself now or your younger self. And then like, I, I guess what I'm asking is, were there any like moments of realization where you see like yourself and clients and then you're like, it helps you in any way, like understand more about yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think there are different places and different kind of schools within the field of psychology that emphasize things a little bit differently. And I don't think anyone is right or wrong. Um, but I will say my training is very much um, in that like the client is the expert. Um, there are some people who kind of view it as like the therapist is the expert in the room and they're like imposing all this knowledge and help on the client. Um, but I really believe that it's a very intertwined, um, kind of like symbiotic relationship and the client is expert on their experience. Um, and holding that view, I think helps me as therapist in training. Um, yeah, see it as that. And I, I feel like I learn things all the time and it's really interesting now. And I'm allowed to say things as long as I'm not like giving away identifying information. But, um, I have a client right now who lost a parent when they were 13 years old. Um, and so I'm doing some grief work with that client and 
it is really interesting seeing kind of things that this person is processing and the questions they're asking themselves and asking the universe. Um, and I'm like kind of brought back to my younger self of dealing with the loss of my dad and things like that. And yeah, and honestly, I have a lot of younger clients and kids these days are just brilliant. Like, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's both alarming. Cause I feel like they're forced to grow up too fast. Um, but they're brilliant. And yeah, I, I'm inspired by uh, the younger clients that I see all the time. And I'm just like, I feel like when I was like 11 years old, I was like rubbing dirt in my face. And these kids are like <laughs> doing all this social justice advocacy stuff. And I'm like, this is wild. So if that, I think that answers your question. Like, yeah, I, I learned so much about myself and just how other people see the world in the work I do, but it is really difficult, you know, cause there, there is also a negative side to that of like being really aligned with certain clients. There's this thing called counter-transference, um, which kind of gets at, I guess a good example of it could be is if like, I hadn't fully processed a lot of the things surrounding the loss of my dad. And then I kind of like projected some of that into the therapeutic relationship with someone else who's experiencing loss. There are times when that can go kind of negative, but so far I think um, those things have all been positive, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that with therapy, that relationship is so crucial. So I could see, you know, counter transformance it's called counter transference transference. That makes more sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> of, you know, like having that relationship. And I like the description that you used with having it be symbiotic. Um, because I think one thing that people worry about with therapy or, you know, a stereotype is that, you know, you're going in there to get all your problems fixed and you're just going to, you know, be told what you're doing wrong and have there be that element of judgment. And I think that's why there's a lot of hesitation to going to therapy, especially if, you know, you've had a negative experience with it in the past. And so I'm curious, you know, like if you do have a client that is hesitant towards therapy, you know, how do you like try and convey to them that it is that symbiotic relationship? And you might not have an answer for this, but I'm curious if you do. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, and honestly, even like going further back than that, I just feel like it all comes back to like psychoeducation and also like me kind of having my personal um, kind of like spiel about what I believe the relationship should look like. And I believe in empowering clients and I am realizing more and more that I work from like a strengths-based perspective. Um, and of course that has, you have to kind of tread lightly with that. Cause if someone has experienced like very severe trauma or other things in their life, you're not going to just start by talking about how great they are. You really have to do some difficult emotional processing. Um, but I believe in really empowering clients and focusing on everything that they bring to the table and not having the, the focus of therapy necessarily be like, these are all of your problems. Um, let's just talk about those all the time. Cause I really feel like increasingly now, and my experience is limited for sure, because I had another internship last spring and that was the first time I ever worked with clients it was last starting last January, actually. So I'm very new to this still, but I am seeing, um, especially in women, just like a lot of anxiety and self-esteem and confidence issues. And so in those situations in particular, 
kind of just educating about like, my job is to empower you. My job is not to focus on all of these things that you feel like are problems with you. I'm going to help you process them and work through them. Um, yeah. And I think it's just important to provide psychoeducation on what therapy actually is. Um, at least from my perspective and every therapist is different. Um, but yeah, I think there's just so much that isn't known about it. Like some people think they go in to get their problems solved for them. Some people, I don't know, there's a whole lot of stuff out there. And so I think just like education is the most important and then bringing in myself and what I believe and how I like to work with people after that. Um, I have found that to be helpful so far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Cause I think too, like the portrayal of, um, like therapy in movies and just like media and stuff we consume, it can be, I think that sometimes, you know, that can be the only thing that people are basing their knowledge of therapy off of. And yeah. that can obviously be very different in real oh, life. It's so different. <laughs> when I tell people that it doesn't really happen now, but when I first started telling people, I know that I was in school for counseling, um, you'd be like, Oh, are you going to like read my mind and like do all this stuff? I'm like, let me, let me tell you something. <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> Let's take a second. Let's go yeah. over it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is very, very true. And I think too, of course it, you know, depends on someone's background and like if they have known anyone who has ever gone to therapy and actually spoken to them about the process, because it can be very different, you know, varying person to person. So kind of getting that foundation and then having that educational piece, I think is a great way to, you know, like maybe knock down a couple of those barriers and just convey, um, you know, that you're there to help them in whatever way that they need that help with, but that it is going to be that symbiotic, um, symbiotic relationship. And I'm curious too, I wanted to ask, um, when you had first started going to therapy, were there any of those hurdles or, um, you know, was it difficult to start opening up? Um, short answer is no. Um, and I know that that is not a common experience for everyone. And I've kind of had to like check myself on that when working with clients, particularly who are younger, who have never been in therapy and like figuring out the right ways to kind of talk about everything and what I believe in and make them feel at ease. Um, I feel pretty fortunate to have grown up in a family where like mental health conversations were had. Um, I think it kind of stemmed from negative experiences that both of my parents had um, with dealing with mental health within their own families. And they kind of wanted to change, particularly my mom, I think was really about open and honest conversation with me and my two brothers. Um, And I don't think I was like very educated in like all things mental health. However, um, I remember seeing a therapist for the first time when I was like pretty young. Um, when my parents got divorced, we might've gone to some family counseling. I honestly don't remember. Um, but it was kind of like a a thing that I knew was like a thing that people did when I was younger. And it wasn't like this, Ooh, like big, scary, like, Oh, you're going to therapy. It was kind of just like, yeah, going to therapy. Um, and one of my older brothers went, um, even before that. So, I think to me, it was normalized in a sense. Um, So I feel pretty lucky. And I think because of my mom's influence of 
really wanting us as a family to be really open with one another, I think it was pretty easy for me to open up um, in therapy. And so I try and both use my experience as a benefit, but also recognize the need to talk to clients in a way where they probably are not feeling as comfortable as I did opening up. And that's why I, I truly do believe in the importance of having my work with clients be just like very comfortable. Like I try and bring myself into the room as much as possible and like crack jokes and talk about pop culture stuff that we have in common. Like I will self-disclose information if I feel it's appropriate and additive and can kind of make them laugh and feel more at ease. So um, yeah, there's two sides to that, mm-hmm. that I try and be aware of. Yeah. Well, I applaud you for being aware of that. Cause I definitely think that isn't a common experience yeah. and you know, in my mind, I, I think that's great that your family had the, the approach of making that normalized of just speaking about mental health and, you know, not, I guess, um, keeping that to like an adult topic or, you know, like just having it be a part of your life from a young age. Um, cause I do think one of the hurdles is of course that like vulnerability and opening up. And I know for myself, that was definitely, um, something that I had to, I guess, work through when I was a sophomore in college, especially when I'd gotten injured, I broke my rib, um, during rowing. And there was a lot of, you know, home stuff and personal stuff that was just all kind of kicking up at the same time. And so to really open up and to, speak about it. I think it was more difficult for me because I knew I had a good support system who would, you know, provide me that space, but it was almost the the biggest struggle for me was I was worried that it would change people's perception of me of, you know, not having everything together. And I think that's why it's such a difficult thing to share with people and to be like, Oh, I'm actually really struggling with this injury and things going on. Um, And so I know for me with first going to sports psych in undergrad, it was very difficult for me to kind of let in, um, you know, people to that world, especially I think a stranger, because then I'm like, oh, this in my mind, I was saying, this is the like first impression that they're going to have of me, you know, but it should have been something that I could have reframed to say like, oh, they're, you know, supposed to be the ones listening to the difficult conversations. And so I think it is, I'm happy that you said, you know, it isn't a common experience in that you didn't feel like that was a hurdle that you had to, you know, go over. Yeah. And I mean, I also think like there's an interesting layer of what you shared about like seeing someone who were they like a part of the athletic department? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that that adds an interesting element as well, which is something I've thought about because um, I thought like down the road, it might be cool to work within a college athletic department doing mental health stuff with athletes. Um, But I can see that being difficult because it's still very much tied into your everyday community. And even though, you know, logically, like there's confidentiality stuff and like this person is not going to go tell all of your friends and your coaches and everyone else, like what you're talking about. But I still think that there's something that can be tough about that in your situation of like, it's still very enmeshed in your everyday process there. And I can see that being a barrier as well. Um, But yeah, it is, it's just interesting to hear like your perspective of that. Um, 
because I feel like I kind of had a different one of, I have, and I still struggle sometimes, um, being like the most vulnerable with friends and family because I don't want to burden them. And I don't want those people, especially in the line of work that I'm in now to think that I like can't handle myself and I don't want to feel inadequate in that way. And I've actually found it easier to just kind of like unload on my therapist. who's like a third part disinterested party. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting. And I feel like I've kind of shifted in how I view that over the years as well. But I feel like I reached a point where I knew I needed a therapist because I wasn't being as open and open the things that I felt like I needed to verbally process with the people closest to me. And so it oddly felt easier to kind of do that with a stranger. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. I think, you know, in my, in my perspective, that is something that's not as common of, you know, feeling like it's harder to open up to a stranger because I, I definitely think that's why therapy for a lot of people, they're like, Oh, you know, like this person isn't super involved in other areas of my life. Right. And so for me, I think, I don't know if it would be, you know, easier or harder for me to open up to a truly just third party therapist where they aren't super involved in athletics or, you know, undergrad and all of that. Um, so that is something that I'd be curious to see if it was different, because I do think like you observed, it definitely did still feel pretty close to home because the sports psych office was same, like same athletic building, you know, seeing, um, all these like different sports psych professionals also be at, you know, our athletic, um, you know, our like athletic meetings and events and stuff like that. So it did kind of feel like in a way, I don't know if how to articulate it properly, but almost like a weird duality, whereas like they were removed, but they weren't at the same time. So I think it it definitely was a weird, um, a weird border for me. And two, I just, I couldn't help but think, and this is, you know, when I'm not the most proudest of, but I will admit to having is, you know, like knowing that it's a sports psychologist, I'm like, everyone kind of goes through these issues and has these things. So I, I kind of had this mindset of like, I shouldn't be able to complain, which I've worked out of, you know, having that um, perspective because I, you know, now I know everyone is, has a right to their emotions, but in my own way, I was like, Oh, I'm not different. Like there's people who are going through so much more than me. Like, I don't want to take up this sports like time and, you know, just to probably say like the five same issues that everyone else is struggling with. And I think that was also a hurdle for me in opening up, um, and really, in my like first experience with a therapist of trying to like break down that barrier, but very much struggling with it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting. And that's honestly something I experience now too, especially with younger clients. Um, I think something that was really helpful for me was being able to kind of like hold two different feelings at once. And I really struggled with that when I was a little bit younger as well. Um, but that idea of like, there's room for both. Um, that statement really stuck with me. I learned it as part of this, um, like grief group that I'm in, um, where you get like matched with a buddy and they just have like really cool resources and stuff for people experiencing loss. Um, but 
yeah, I think it's really important to give yourself the space to both acknowledge that there are always going to be people who have it worse, um, but also recognize that your experience is very real and valid and to like hold both of those feelings at once rather than be like very either or about it, you know, because it's like, yeah, I could sit here and say like, yeah, I lost my dad, but some people have lost both of their parents, but that, that doesn't, that doesn't help me and like process what I've gone through and what I've gone through is still very real. And, um, it's not very normal to lose a parent when you're 21 years old, you know? And it's like, so yes, there's always going to be those, like there are other people who experience X, Y, Z. And my experience is very real and important. And I think that goes for you. And it sounds like you've kind of like worked through some of those feelings already, but that was just an interesting yeah, being able to hold like opposing feeling at feelings at once has been something that's been really important for me to really learn for myself and not view things as black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thank you for sharing because I definitely like that, you know, that perspective a lot of giving yourself, I guess, the grace or the awareness to say there is room for both and that you can have those two opposing feelings. Uh, because like you, you know, like you said, I definitely, that is something that for myself, I'm like in my mind, you know, it's like the two classic, like devil and angel on your shoulder, where it's just like going at <laughs> each other <laughs> and you need to, you know, I know I now am way better at catching myself and saying like, oh no, like it doesn't have to be black and white. Um, it can be, you know, room, there's room for both in that gray area. So I think that's, that's very important to kind of take away. Um, and it is strange too. I wonder if you feel this where with myself, like a lot of things are black and white, but then with other people, I'm very understanding of saying like, oh, there's such like a spectrum, you know? And I think it's probably, I'm, I'm curious to see what you'd say to that. Cause I'm, I'm, my guess is that, you know, that's pretty common for a lot of people where it's you're harsher on yourself than you are for others. Absolutely. That's been the hardest part about everything through my life with sports and now with the work I'm doing with clients and it's even more emphasized because I'm literally not giving advice because we we don't give advice to clients but processing things and giving tools um and psychoeducation and just processing assistance with stuff and I'm like I need to do this with myself. And like, it's honestly brought about feelings of like, I feel like a fraud, like who am I to be in this role? Like really bad imposter syndrome when like I struggle to do these things for myself. Um, But I think it's been kind of like a good check in that way. Um, At first it was really unsettling and I was kind of just like, what is wrong with me? Um, Which again, plays into like me being my own worst critic. but it is, it's good to kind of remember of like my, my work with clients is only going to be as good as the work I am doing with myself and like following through on myself. Um, because then the things that I'm kind of talking about and like helping them process is coming from a genuine place and not just me reading a book on how to be a therapist and like tell them to do X, Y, Z, you know, um, Mm -hmm. to just make it as genuine as possible. So yeah, I, I feel that I've, I've always been that way as well. And being in this role now um, as a therapist in training has really highlighted uh, the importance of kind of turning my advice um, and guidance inward on myself more than I have in the past. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very, 
you know, profound <laughs> observation of, you know, having that imposter syndrome, because yeah, I think we're very similar with our, just our love for psychology. Like you had mentioned it before, of just human behavior and connection and wanting to understand that just like from a, I guess, scientific or like, um, like academic background, but then also playing that into our life and, you know, having these moments of that <laughs> introspection where you're like, Oh God, what am I like? <laughs> like, what am I even saying? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't tell myself the same things, you know, like giving other people the, you know, insight or perspective that you should give yourself. Um, yeah. so I think that's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Cause I think it's so relatable. Um, but something that is, you know, a, a constantly growing process and something that you always have to work towards and check yourself on and make sure that you're, you know, the way you frame it in your mind is the best beneficial, the most beneficial way. Yeah. And like you said, it's like, it's an ongoing process, you know, cause before it would have been like soccer focused of like at that time in my life of kind of working through it that way. Now it's like, in my current setting. So it is, I think it is kind of like a lifelong of making those adjustments to not make things harder for yourself than they, than they already are at times. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like the different um, buckets that we start to like pour our like different emotions into. Cause for me, it definitely used to be like rowing and I would use a lot of my energy to like give, I guess, like be a listener and try and make other people's lives, you know, like, shinier or however I could help them along. But now as I'm getting older, I'm definitely starting to reshift that where I'm like the energy that I'm not putting into rowing and academics, I can start to put back into, you know, myself and what I'm doing. Um, and I think that's a part of maturity, of course, <laughs> is realizing the importance of doing that. Yeah. I also think that's kind of just a function of sports too, is especially team sports. Um, not that it's like, you neglecting yourself but I do think like part of the magic of like being on a team is like being a part of something bigger than yourself and so it kind of just becomes a habit of like that's how you're kind of channeling your energy and that doesn't mean you're neglecting yourself but then transitioning out of sport you kind of realize like oh I don't really know how to focus this more inward and then I know for me I've had moments of like am I selfish for like focusing all this energy on me like I don't want to be a selfish person but it's yeah, it just, it's the evolution of all of those feelings and like where to channel energy is really different or it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great point, you know, as we've kind of discussed all of this, um, of just like to end on and kind of allow yourself. I like to keep telling myself, like, allow yourself that grace to focus on yourself. Cause I think a lot of people, a lot of the times think it is selfish, like, oh, I'm not, you know, giving back or doing this for other people, but one of my favorite, I guess, images or like life metaphors is if you're constantly pouring, you know, your, your own bucket out and no one is replenishing it, whether that's like yourself or others, then you're going to run out of, you know, steam and run out of energy eventually. So now I like to try and evaluate things as seeing like, oh, what am I doing to refill that bucket um, and make sure that, you know, I can be my best self to best help others. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that is, that's important no matter what you're doing. It's, it's really hard to remember sometimes and it's really important to remember. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with that, you know, I'd like to thank you because this has been an amazing conversation. Um, and it's always just fascinating to me to hear, you know, other people's perspectives and stories and really just like kind of get these conversations. Cause I think they are sometimes so rare, just, you know, like blocking out some time and just getting to know people better. Um, so this has been awesome. And thank you again for taking time out of your day to, you know, share and be vulnerable and just have so many amazing insights. Oh, for sure. And thank you for kind of inviting me here into this space. I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Um, and I look forward to seeing what else you do with learn to listen. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening and dedicating some of your time to listening to these conversations and being an external part of that conversation. I hope you take away with each episode, maybe some new perspectives and some ways to reflect about how what we talk about pertains to your life and your own interests and goals.